him. And in a big way, this does show us a, a mighty picture of what God does for his people in salvation history. Exodus chapter 13 into chapter 14. We're going to cross the Red Sea today, and, and it's exciting. The, the lesson that we learn in this chapter for us, and especially on this day for Woodburn Baptist Church, it's a reminder of what it means to follow the Lord and how exactly he leads us. There are great lessons for us, and we probably can't even learn them all uh, from, from just the time we have this morning, but we can sure get started. Now, just warn you, I know that you love to stand out of reverence for reading God's word, and I love that, but just to warn you, I'm going to read a little, preach a little, read a little, preach a little. Okay, so if, if, you, if, if you like that, that's great. Whatever you want to do, I'm just warning you, I'm going to read a little, preach a little. It's like a pre-sermon and then the real thing, uh, ever how you want to follow this. But I want to start by reading Exodus chapter 13, start with verse 17. I'm going to stop at verse 22, and, and, and then we're going to pick up again in a moment. This is the word of the Lord. Hear it with the mind to obey. Listen to this. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. Okay, let that sink in. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way. That's my whole life. God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. Interesting. Moses took the bones of Joseph. Did you know this? Did you know this? Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear to do this. He said, his last words, God will certainly come to help you. And when he does, you must take my bones with you from this place. Did y'all know they did that? They took the bones of Joseph. The Israelites left Sukkoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud. I love that. And he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. Now let's stop right there. Pre-sermon, we'll come back and we'll cross the sea together. I just want to point out these three things in these opening verses. First off, verse 18, God led them in what kind of way? A roundabout way. God leads his people in a roundabout way. Now there is a shortcut. There is a shortcut to the promised land from Egypt. There is a shorter way, but that is not the way God leads them. Okay, principle number one for your life, principle for our church, God is not obligated to lead us the shortest way. He will lead us the best way. Do you understand that? He will always lead us in the best way. He will lead us along the way that, that works best to fulfill all of his purposes for our lives, all of his purposes for our church. But there is no expectation that we're always going to take the shortest way. God will lead us down the long way sometimes, a roundabout way. Now, the scripture says exactly why God does it this way for the children of Israel. And why is it? God sees what they don't see. God knows what they don't know. And what does God know? He knows where the enemy is camped. He knows every spot between here and there where the enemy is camped. And he knows even though the children of Israel look like a mighty army, 
They are not up to the fight. He knows that. God knows where the enemy is camped, and he knows that they are not battle ready. They are not going to be able to to face any fight. So therefore, God leaves them in, in a different way. He leads them in a roundabout way. Now, this is very difficult for us. In the history of Woodburn Baptist Church, I can tell you, we have often been led down a roundabout way. We haven't always gotten from where we were to where God wanted us to be in the shortest route. But I pray that we have, for the most part, taken the route that God laid out for us. Do you understand? God leads us, and God leads us with his wisdom. And if we will follow him, we will be able to miss a whole lot of mess. You understand? We will be able to miss a whole lot of mess. And most of the messes that we find ourselves in are simply because we don't follow him. A lot of the detours we take are not the detours he's leading us down. We decide to sort of blaze our own trail. And every time we do that, we will get ourselves into trouble. You follow the Lord. Sometimes he will lead you down a way that seems longer than necessary for you. But you don't see what he sees. You don't know what he knows. Do you understand? So you must simply buckle down and commit yourself to follow him. You follow every step he lays out. It will sometimes not make sense to you. This would not be the path that you would choose, understand. But it is the path that God chooses, and therefore, it is the only path to travel. God's path. This is true for your life right now. Because we don't like the roundabout way. We like shortcuts. I want the shortest, quickest way to everywhere. I just don't feel like I got that much time to take the roundabout way places. But God sometimes just is in not the hurry that I'm in. Do you understand? You're thinking right now that your marriage is very, very difficult. And you've already decided that divorce would be quicker than making your marriage work. Maybe God wants to lead you down the longer path. Do you understand? I know that making a marriage work is is a lot of hard work. I know that. You've got to do the everyday hard work of forgiveness and the everyday hard work of, of letting it go and the everyday hard work of putting somebody's needs ahead of your needs. That is difficult. That is the roundabout way to peace and happiness, but it is the only way to peace and happiness in marriage. Do you understand that? That this shortcut you're planning is not going to take you to the promised land that God has for you. It simply won't do it. Growing up in school, we have so many dreams and so many desires. And often it just seems like the good things never come. They're always somewhere down the future. And we're always tempted to try to blaze a shortcut. Always tempted somebody to take a detour. There are no detours. There are no shortcuts. Sometimes... God's going to lead you the long way. And when God leads you the long way, you just take the long way. It is the only way to get where he's leading us. Now, about the bones of Joseph. Now, think about it. Joseph was one of the patriarchs. Joseph is the whole reason that all of the children of Israel are in Egypt. He's the whole reason. And we're talking about ancient history now. Even in Moses' day, Joseph had lived 400 years before Moses. So think about that. 400 years ago, there was some ancestor named Joseph that they all seemed to remember. 
They remember Joseph, and they remember how Joseph made it all the way up to the throne of Egypt because since Joseph's day, everything has gone down the tube. They started out with, with Joseph being there at the top, and now all of the children of Israel are slaves. But they continue to somehow honor the memory of Joseph, and even to the extent of honoring his last request. What was it? Last request of Joseph. Yeah, it's really interesting. Go ahead, let's just do it. We got time. Flip back to the very last, last verse of the book of Genesis. Last verse of the book of Genesis. Let's start at verse 24, chapter 50. Joseph's talking to his brothers. He says, soon I will die. But God will surely come to help you and lead you out of the land of Egypt. Now, why does Joseph know that? Because God made a promise to Abraham. And that promise was to lead him to a, a land, to a promised land. And that promised land is not Egypt. You understand? It's not Egypt. So God is going to come and help you and lead you out of this land. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath, and he said, when God comes to help you and lead you back, you've got to take my bones with you. Take my bones with you. So Joseph died at the age of 110. The Egyptians embalmed him. Think about that. Think about it. What did they do to him? They probably mummified him. But that gets pretty awesome now, doesn't it? They, they pickled him, okay? They mummified him. And they placed his body in a coffin in Egypt where it's not anymore. Because 400 years later, when the children of Israel are being led out of Egypt, they take his bones with them. They take his mummy with them. That's interesting. Especially on a day like today at Woodburn when we want to think about and honor our own past. We have many, many ancestors. We don't have the 400-year history that the Israelites have, but we have a 144-year history and many, many people of faith and many mothers and fathers and grandparents who've gone before us. And understand, in Israel, it was exactly the same way, only 400 years of history. But in all these 400 years, understand, they don't take everybody's body with them. They don't dig up everybody's mother's bones. They don't dig up grandma's bones. They don't do that. For the most part, they leave. They're leaving the only homes that they have ever known. They are leaving everybody's graves. They are leaving behind all of their ancestors who have died in Egypt. They leave all of them except one. You understand that? They leave all of them except one. And that one they take is a man named Joseph who was a dreamer. He was a dreamer. 400 years before all of this happens, he can see that it's going to happen. He knows that Egypt is not the promised land. He knows that where they are is not exactly where God wants them to stay. And he makes some promise. He makes some promise that when God comes and takes you out of here, please take my mummy with you. Take my bones with you. Now let's apply that for a moment to our church's life. And I want to do this just quickly, but I want you to stop and think about that. It is not that we don't honor and respect the memory of all of those who've gone before us. But let's just stop and, and think about this for a moment. Sometimes those who've gone before us, they were people of vision. 
And they were people who could see long. And they were people who dreamed great big dreams for the future and great big dreams for this church. And I'm telling you, the dreamers like that, those are the ones that we really want to honor. Those are the ones whose, whose dreams we want to carry forward. But, but now listen to me. Not everybody in our history was a dreamer. That there are a lot of people in, at any given moment in history, in any given church, there are just probably a, a good majority of people who aren't dreamers like that. Instead, often you've got people who don't dream at all. They don't think about the future. They just think about the present. And honestly, they just want to mummify the present. There are a lot of people like that, and the older I get, the more tempted I am to just want to sort of preserve this present moment. I would love in ways to just mummify this church exactly as it is, because I love this church. I love this moment in our church's history. I love all of you. Y'all aren't going to look any better ever than you do today. Why don't we just freeze it, push pause? Why don't we mummify the place? Well, the problem with that is whatever you mummify, you understand, it's dead. You don't mummify living things, you mummify dead things. And so, as we think about our church, we think about the future of this church. Listen to me, young people. One of these days, Brother Tim's going to be dead. I will be so dead. Dead. All right? And I want you to honor my memory in this way. In whatever way I led you into the future, honor that. But if I become some old guy who starts trying to cloud up and reign over everything you do, you don't have to mummify that. You don't have to carry that forward. We want to carry forward dreams and we want to carry forward visions for the future. Whatever you try to mummify, it's dead. And so honestly... They left their homes. They left everything they had ever known, and they carried with them the bones of one man, and that man was a dreamer. That was a man who said, one of these days, God's going to come because he's got something in store so much better than what we got here. When you move forward, take me with you. You understand? The church always has to move forward. Always has to move forward. We don't get to press pause. We don't get to freeze this moment. We don't even have a whole lot of say about what the future holds. But we should all agree that we want this church to move forward and follow the Lord in whatever he has for us. You understand? Because God is leading, just like he leads his people. And one more thing, and this isn't even the sermon yet. We got lunch waiting. Verse 21, the Lord went ahead of them. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud. How do you picture that? I picture a tornado. I do. This incredible column of powerful cloud. You understand? God leads them with this, this enormous column of, of cloud, and that's in the daytime. But at night, what happens to that column, that pillar? It, it turns to fire. At night, it's this tremendous, fiery tornado that leads them through the night. That way, whether by day or by night, God never stops leading them. Do you understand? He never stops going before them. There is not a moment for them where they don't have light to follow. Understand? 
And, and young people, do you understand how God goes ahead of you? Do you understand that? He goes ahead of you into school every day. He goes ahead of you into college. He goes ahead of you always in your life. He's moving ahead of you. He's preparing the way for you. And he's going to guide you. He will never, not for a single moment, leave you without guidance. He will always provide light for your path. Now understand how this pillar of fire works. It's not shining a light for a mile down the road because that's what I like. I like those headlights, and I don't have them because my Honda's like 11 years old. But I like those lights, those headlights that some of you have. They'll just burn the retinas out of your head at night. Man, have you seen those out there? They'll just burn, they'll just melt the eyeballs right out of your head. Man, people have headlights that, that'll shine into outer space. I like that, actually. I want those because that's how I travel. I want to look way down the road. I want to see where I'm going way. I want to see where I'll be tomorrow. Do you understand? I like light way down the road, but that's not how God leads. That's never how God leads. He does not shine the light a mile down the road. I know that you'd like to know what's going to happen next week or next month or next year. You'd love to know where you're going to go to college or who you're going to marry. You'd love to know how everything's going to turn out for your grandchildren. But God just doesn't shine the light miles down the road like that. He just tends to illuminate the next step. He will shine enough light for you to take the next step, and the next step, and the next step. Do you understand? You're not blazing your own trail here. You're following him. He goes before you, and he will always give you just enough light to take the next step. You may not necessarily know what's going to happen two days from now, but I promise you sitting right here right now, you know what God wants you to do next. You do that next thing. God will show you the next thing. There's always light for the next step, you see. And the next step for the Israelites is amazing. Chapter 14, verse 5. Here's a real sermon. Let's all stand up. Exodus chapter 14, verse 5. Listen to this. Listen to this. When word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials, say it, Change their minds. This is the, the, the most amazingly stupid man that ever lived, Pharaoh. He changed his mind. What have we done letting all those Israelite slaves get away, they asked. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots. Keep an eye on those chariots. You'll notice where they end up. 600 of the best chariots, along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel who had left with, with fists raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all his horses and chariots, his charioteers, and his troops. Keep an eye on them. You'll want to know where they end up. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore near Pihariath, across from Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up, and they panicked. They panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? 
Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Stand still, stand firm, and watch the Lord's salvation. Watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. That's cool. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Okay, I like this. What did Moses just tell them? Stand still. And now the word is? Get moving. Yeah, you're going to split your pants if you try to do both of those. Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water. God just says this, like, you know, divide the water. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots and his charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. Then the angel of God who had been leading the people of Israel moved to the rear of the camp. Now watch him. Move to the rear of the camp. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. The cloud settled between the Egyptian and Israelite camps. As darkness fell, the cloud turned to fire, lighting up the night. The Egyptians and Israelites did not approach each other all night. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. Wow, take your seats. Wow. There's an old phrase that comes from this scripture. It's the old phrase that goes, you're caught between the devil and the deep blue sea. You ever heard that? caught between the devil and the deep blue sea. It comes from, from this passage. In this moment in the lives of God's people, they, they are truly caught between the devil, Pharaoh, and the deep blue sea. They, they are stuck. They're in a fix. You understand that? They're just stuck. There is nowhere to go. And you'll understand in verse 10 that they are panicked. They are panicked. It's an extreme word for fear. They are extremely afraid. They're panicked. Which is why it's interesting in verse 13 that Moses tells them what? Don't be afraid. Does that work? If you're dealing with a person who's very, very afraid, does it work just to say, don't be afraid? Does that work? And have you ever been parents? Ever had a frightened child? Does it work just to say, don't be afraid? No, it, it does not work because fear is not logical. You can't reason with, with fear. A couple of weeks ago, John Mark, where'd you go? John Mark watched a scary movie. And, and you know this if you follow John Mark on Facebook because that night, late into the night, John Mark's Facebook status said, it was only a movie, John Mark. It was only a movie. Only a movie, John Mark. Only a movie. I wouldn't have thought that you could still fit in bed with your parents, but apparently you can. You were in, in bed with Mark, Mark and D. They kicked you out. Yeah, yeah. You can't reason with fear. 
Of course it's just a movie. You know it's just a movie, but, but that's logical. That's on the rational side of your brain. The fear's on the other side. And so all through Scripture, it's this word to, to, to frighten people. The word is always, don't be afraid. But, but my goodness, how can you just decide not to be afraid? Honestly, I don't know if you can do that. Once fear has, has that hold on you, I don't know if you can choose not to feel it. I sort of think you're already feeling it. And for that matter, the people are already panicked. Moses is about three verses late when he says, don't panic. It's too late. It's too late. They're already afraid. And honestly, in moments of our lives, we're going to be in that same situation. We're already afraid. Already we feel caught like this, caught between two impossible choices, knowing that God says go this way, but we see the way blocked. We have no idea how to get past the deep blue sea and no idea how to face the devil on this side. My goodness, fear sets in. I don't know if it does any good just to say don't be afraid. But, but listen to me, the choice you do have, whether or not you feel fear or, or, or not, the choice you do have is the choice not to give in to fear. You do have a choice about how you react and how you respond, and you must not let fear take over. You can't let fear move you, do you understand? You can't make big decisions, you can't rush for the nearest exit, you can't listen to fear. Notice how these people talk when they're panicked. Suddenly, these are a raving lunatics. Listen, they cry out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Why did you bring us out here to die? Excuse me? Excuse me? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us, make us leave Egypt? These people are crazy. They're crazy all of a sudden. What makes them crazy? Fear. Fear makes them crazy. And fear will make you crazy. Do you understand? You can't give in to fear. Fear makes you foolish. Fear makes you forgetful. Notice that all of a the sudden, these people who have seen more of God's power than any people in all of the history of creation, they have seen God do amazing things. They have seen God turn the entire Nile River to blood. They saw that with their own eyes. They have seen God rain down frogs on Egypt so that they were walking hip deep in frogs. They saw that. They saw a plague of gnats so thick that you couldn't talk in public because you'd swallow a thousand gnats. You understand? They saw a plague of gnats and flies and boils. They have seen everything. But they don't seem to remember any of that now. They talk about Egypt like Egypt is somehow going back to Disney World. They forget 400 years of slavery, how they cried out and how they suffered under the iron fist of Pharaoh. All of a sudden now, they're dreaming of going back. They're crazy. And fear is what makes them crazy. Fear is what makes them forget who God is and forget what God has done for them and forget what God is doing. No, he didn't bring you out here to watch you die in the wilderness. No, for that matter, he didn't create you for slavery. He created you for freedom. Stand still and watch what God does, Moses said. But fear takes over. Fear makes you forget. It makes you forget who God is. It makes you forget what God is doing in your life to save you and bless you. It's just that fear. 
it messes you up. Some of you right now are messed up by fear like that. You're just so afraid. You're so afraid of going forward. You're just so afraid of, of having to love people. You're so afraid of what it'll cost you to follow the Lord. You're just so afraid. Fear makes you forget. Makes you forget who God is. Fear will take you straight back to bondage. Do you understand that? That fear of the future, that fear of stepping forward, don't you understand? You can't let that fear stop you from moving forward in what God has for you. Because the only other option is back to bondage. Don't you get that? Why would you go back? Why would you choose that? You don't want to go back. Notice the other thing about fear. I, I don't want you to miss this part because it's important for us as a church. Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt, Moses? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. What are you doing to us? They're going off on Moses. It's the other thing about fear. It's the other thing that happens when we stop moving forward and we freeze in place with fear. We'll turn on each other. It'll happen every time, every single time. Honestly, this is the devil's oldest trick in how to destroy a church. He'll do it in Perry, Oklahoma. He'll do it in Franklin, Kentucky. He'll do it in Woodburn. The best way to blow this church sky high is just to turn us against each other. And fear will do it every time. The, the fear of the future, the, the fear of change, the, the, the fear of God, the fear that God is somehow going to lead us off a cliff. It's just that fear that paralyzes us. And one of the symptoms of that is how quickly we'll turn on each other. They begin attacking Moses. They begin attacking God. They begin complaining and, and murmuring and, and griping and dreaming of slavery in, in Egypt. My goodness. When the scripture says, don't be afraid. I don't know how to not feel that fear, but, but I do know that in the key moments of my life, the, the biggest decision for me was to not to give in to the fear. That's why Moses says, just stand still. Stand firm. Because fear will, fear will make you rush for the nearest exit. Fear will always cause you to move in the opposite direction. Fear, whatever you do in fear, you're going to regret. Moses says, just stand still. Stand firm and Watch for God's salvation, he says. Watch for God's salvation. You stand firm, you stand still. It's, it's a great picture of grace. Do you understand that? They're caught between the devil and the deep blue sea, and the instruction is just stand still for a minute. Just stand there for a minute. Watch for God's salvation. Man, those are the moments when the impulse to do something is overwhelming. The, the, the desire to take it all in my own hands, the desire to figure this out, the desire to move somehow, the desire to get myself out of this spot is overwhelming. But the word from God is stand firm, stand still. Don't you move, and especially don't you move out of fear. Stand still. Let God fight for you. Stand still. The Hebrew there, and I'm not going to play a Hebrew game with you, but, but the, the Hebrew there is, is, is salvation. Watch for God's salvation. And just so you know, that word salvation in, in Hebrew is Yeshua. Yeshua, which is, of course, the word that is used to name 
the son of Mary and Joseph when he's born in Bethlehem. His name is Yeshua, you understand? So even back at the Red Sea, the word is still to keep your eyes on Yeshua. Did you get that? To, to, to focus and watch for Yeshua. Watch for your salvation. It, it, it comes. But you've got to stand still. You've got to stop trying to, to move this thing by your own power. You've got to stop trying to figure everything out. You've just got to stand there, focus on salvation, focus on Yeshua, focus on Christ. You just stand there and wait for Christ to do his thing. He will show up and he will do his thing. Don't be afraid. Stand still. And then God says, tell the people to get moving. Get moving. Oh, my goodness. Get moving. And in which direction? Seaward. Do you understand? They have to get moving. The, the instruction is to move forward. But forward is to face the most impossible obstacle. We're talking about the Red Sea. We're talking about the sea. And now the instruction is move forward. Move forward. Understand something about your, your own life. Understand something about the way God works. Often, you're going to be in this situation where you're told to move forward before necessarily you start to see the waters part. Did you understand? Mark Batterson, he's, he's a great preacher. Mark Batterson says this. He says, everybody loves the idea of a miracle, but nobody wants to be in the situation that requires one. 